Good morning. I'm Lauren Anders Brown, an independent documentary filmmaker. Being behind the camera in over 40 countries has resulted in hours, days, terabytes of footage. So much of what happens to make a shoot possible ends up on the metaphorical cutting room floor. Most of my editing used to take place in planes, trains, or whatever available coffee shop had a decent filter single origin coffee, and always using the hashtag today's office. Now, I'm picking up the scraps, reviewing old interviews, and scrolling through my social media to give you a behind-the-scenes look at what it is like to travel, produce, film, direct, record, alone, as my own correspondent. It's my birthday this month, and today I'd like to take you back around this time seven years ago, when I was in Uganda for the first time. I arrived into Entebbe Airport, a little worse for wear, after flying overnight from New York through Amsterdam. I traveled with my friend Jen, who I'd met in Haiti and was up for a medical adventure and willing to help me keep what I captured on this trip in order. We met with my future friend, Sarah, from the UK. I say future because at this point, we were still more work colleagues than friends. A couple of days in Kampala, and enough hours in traffic to make me question the ratio of time in the air to the time on the ground. We were out of the capital city and on our way to Emberara. We stopped along the way to fuel up on some amazing Ugandan coffee and Rolexes. Not the kind that sit on your wrist, but in your belly. Immediately followed by the all too necessary photo op of the circle that sits on the equator. I was in Uganda to film the important work being done to make surgery safer in the country. Sarah had invited Nick, an anesthetist from the UK who had worked in Uganda to join us and assist us and introductions to capture content. We woke up on our first morning in Emberara, buzzing from my French press coffee, combined with Nick's AeroPress, and we set out a plan for filming. We would all need to be fully caffeinated for what I was about to propose. The documentary I was working on would include lots of interviews with doctors, but it was also really important for me to capture visual content as well as the interviews and not just surgeries. So when Sarah asked me what I wanted to film in Uganda, kind of the same way a parent asks a child what they want for Christmas, I didn't hold back. I wanted to film a cesarean section. Sarah wasn't surprised at that. But I also wanted to film a wedding. That she was surprised at. I explained I wanted to capture some life events to incorporate into the longer documentary that would eventually become the film, The Checklist Effect. And one of those life events was a wedding. The ever optimistic Sarah asked if I had any suggestions for how I might go about that since I delivered that request with such certainty that it could happen. In my experience, the person I go to whenever I need inside information on a film set was always the teamster or, or driver, the people who drive vehicles. So, why not start with Yasin, our driver? Sarah decided to leave me with Nick to sort out the cesarean section, and she would start the process of finding my Ugandan wedding. 
I don't know if I'll ever experience a day like this again. Nick had checked with the maternity ward and they were convinced no one would deliver that day. But as Sarah went off in search of her miracle, we went off in search of ours. And as Nick was finished getting our permissions, a woman went into labor, allowing me to capture the entire process from being wheeled in a wheelchair from the maternity ward through to surgery, the successful delivery of the crying baby, and even the silencing moment of the power being cut mid-surgery with the mother still on the operating room table. I should tell you now that she was fine. They had a backup light that stayed on long enough to finish the surgery and a battery-powered pulse oximeter. A pulse oximeter is the machine that has a clip that attaches to a person's finger and can determine how their blood saturation is doing. It determines how well a patient is doing in surgery. The right amount of oxygen in the blood makes it beep a certain rhythm. If the oxygen levels change because a patient's body is having complications during surgery, the beeping rhythm will change and give the surgical team minutes more than they would have had to stabilize a patient than if they didn't have a pulse oximeter. One of the interviews in Uganda I filmed when I wasn't filming crying babies, power cuts, or weddings. Yes, we got to actually film a wedding. One of the interviews was with an anesthetist, Charles, who told us a story about using one of these machines during surgery and how it saved a life of a child who was having what he calls squint surgery for their eyes. Since it wasn't a surgery that required general anesthesia, he was using what he will refer to as an LMA, or a laryngeal mask airway, which is apparently faster and easier way for, to help patients breathe during surgery because it only sits on the top of the windpipe. So, so yes, yeah, so as we were saying, one thing that we're particularly interested in is yes. examples, like I asked last time, yes, yes. examples of where the pulse oximeter has helped in particular. Yes. So if you can think of an example of a patient where that's the case, can you tell us the story? Yes, there is one uh, patient whom I did with, I have forgotten the anesthesiologist, the visiting anesthesiologist who was also from, I think, Jampne. So we had a camp for squint, squint surgery, and we were using LMA, laryngeal mask, airway. And we, the, the kid was around eight years. Then I really pressed my LMF very comfortably. Then in the middle of operation, then the patient, I was pressing my parxometer and the anesthesiologist was also there, the visiting anesthesiologist. Then the patient was desaturating. While the, the LMA was in position, but the patient was desaturating severely. And you could even bug, you feel there was no resistance. Then I, I wondered why. Even the anesthesiologist now came in because he was also monitoring another kid, so I was here. So he came in, he just checked, then what he did, he just increased on propofol, which we are using. So he had to increase on propofol, then increase on maintenance, harrison. So when I asked him, he said, 
Yeah, possibly there was mismatch within the uh, breathing system. This is what he told me because we were busy, could not go into details. Then the parksometer helped us because when he had the change within the volume hmm, sound, then he had to come and he said, Charles, any problem? I said, yes, there is a problem because there is a desaturation, but the, eh, the system is really going on nicely when you bug. Eh? There is no resistance within the system. Then this is what he did. But it helped me because it detected that desaturation despite there was no any leakage in the whole system, oxygen, whatever. So this is what really he told me. So it helped me to detect that desaturation. And if the pulse oximeter hadn't been there, what would have been the outcome? The, pardon? If you hadn't had the mm -hmm. Yes. What would the outcome? Yeah, the outcome, immediately the surgeon has also to, to intervene. How? By seeing the color of the blood. He will warn you. He will warn you the blood is blue. Then this is when you can come in. And then you can even use your, all the senses. You see, even if the patient is intubated, you see, is the breathing pattern okay? Then you feel the pulse. You check the mucus as the operation is going on. Those you can detect that there is something wrong with the patient. But is it, so is it the case that by the time the blood is blue, the patient is in a very a bad condition? Yes, it's a very, very bad condition, yeah. So thinking back, I just want you to remember what, you, what things were like maybe five or ten years ago doing yes. an anaesthetic yes. without a pulse oximeter. How did you recognise that there was a problem when you, before these monitors were available? Yeah, I myself, as I told you earlier on, that I, have, I myself am a monitor. So I could have my precordio. That was also my first monitor to use, precordio stethoscope, which I could use, and I could use pulse by feeling it. That is how I use it to work. Yes. Yeah. And how, was, how did that feel? It, it was tiresome for me. It was tiresome. Because all the time it could be on tension. Could be on tension, yeah, listening, yeah, all the time. You cannot move from the patient, especially these pediatrics. You cannot move, as Dr. Keith was saying. Yeah, ketamine is the parent to most of the, yeah, and uh, these ophthalmologists, any surgeon, they, they prefer it, depending if it is not contraindicated. But with other drugs, if it is given, you have to be alert all the time. So it was very tiresome for me, but good enough now. We are moving somewhere. Charles took the complexity of surgery and broke it down for me in a way as I, as a filmmaker, could understand. And also so I could understand how important this little BB machine was to him and his patients. It was more than just background music. It helped him be a better monitor than using a stethoscope and watching for blood to turn blue, because at that point, it would be too late for his patients. So when doctors like Charles take the time to share more about the medical issues at stake, it can connect the worlds of doctors and patients, or just people like me, a bit more. 
on the topic of doctors, patients, and filmmakers, before wrapping up this podcast and getting on with the birthday festivities, I wanted to remind you that Global Health Film is the official sponsor of this podcast, and they've just recently released the panel discussions and resource packs from the 2021 Film Festival. So if you'd like to hear from more doctors and experts about some of the world's current medical issues at stake, head over to globalhealthfilm.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation to keep content like this podcast and their future projects funded. And that's all for this month. Back next month with more from my own correspondent. Do join me.